I started speaking at events and a guy pulled me to the side and asked me what I like an opportunity to own a bank. Um, initially, I was kind of like, no, I don't want to own a bank. I don't know anything about that. But once I started listening to him and he planted the seed in me, I took action. And within two, two weeks, I was up and running as a federally chartered bank. And with that being said, once I did that and once the wheels started turning and, and the seed was planted, I realized that if this was to go, if this was to become something, I have the ability to change the culture. This is not about me. It wasn't about me making money. It wasn't about me owning a bank per se, just to tell people I own it. This is really about creating something for the culture that's going to change the trajectory of all of our lives, all of our, all of our, the way that we do business. And so to be able to create a safe space where we can do business, where we can get funded, where we can get access to capital, it was a no brainer. The rest was history. 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 Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back, party people. Another one. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I start every one of these episodes off with something. And most of the time, I don't know what I'm going to say. It kind of just comes to me as I go. And I'm, I'm proud of that, right? Maybe that, that makes me feel extraordinary. And I'm, I think I'm going to say that word a couple more times. Because that's what comes to mind when I think about our guest today. Like, truly extraordinary. And w- when I meld that idea of extraordinary behavior extraordinary success. When I marry that with what we do at Wild Black, it, it puts me in this mind frame, this mindset, if you will. Like every, every day, every single day, there are everyday people who do extraordinary things. And those people then get moved from this, this classification of normal, everyday people to like superstar box, extraordinary and, and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with becoming elevated. But I'm willing to bet that most of those people that we elevate, that we look at and we see extraordinary, in their own minds, they probably feel pretty normal. Not that they're not achieving and doing dope shit, but they probably feel pretty normal. Now, one of the things here at Wild Black that I love that we do is we create access to extraordinary people. And I think by doing that and by repeating the process of talking about extraordinary acts, extraordinary successes of black people, we begin to normalize the idea of extraordinary. We begin to make it feel more real that our everyday can be extraordinary. Like that can be our regular. Now, maybe I'm rambling a little bit, but that's my right. If I am, it's okay. But what I hope you're pulling from this is that black folks in black culture are powerfully amazing people. And I believe that with access and opportunity and partnership, our everyday can become extraordinary. And that's why conversations like today are important. Because our, our guest 
is extraordinary. She's accomplished some things that when you hear them, it just doesn't feel like anybody can do it. And true enough, anybody can't do it, but that's because not everyone is supposed to do it. We are all supposed to do our own extraordinary things. And the faster that we believe extraordinary is our norm, the faster we can all get there. But that's why it's important. Because she is going to provide another example to everyone listening of what you can become when you want something. Of how extraordinary becomes the ordinary. So listen well today. Pay attention because what I'm expecting is going to be an episode loaded with functional advice, strategic direction, inspiration, and wisdom. The wisdom you need to become a step closer to your own version of extraordinary. Now, I've already talked a whole lot. So what I want to do is introduce our guest today. But before I tell you exactly who she is, let me hit you with a couple stats. The number two realtor in Dallas. Top 100 in the country. Top 1% in the entire nation. And all that since 2015. That's extraordinary. But I'm not done. This is the part that blows my mind. And I know she's heard this a bunch and she's going to hear it again. In addition to an agent and a real estate developer and a real estate investor, she got her own money. She owns her own mortgage bank. And I know that feels extraordinary. And we're going to talk about it today. And as if it doesn't matter, a little tidbit on top of all that, undergraduate degree, two master's degree, and a law degree. She's been to school. So I want to welcome Benicia Poole Watson to Wild Black. Benicia, welcome to Wild Black. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. So I said a mouthful about this episode and about you, but, but take a few seconds, take five seconds, 22 seconds, 31 seconds, and just tell the people listening a little bit more about who you are. Sure. So who am I? I'm just a, a girl from South Central LA that had a vision and followed my dream. And now I'm here. Uh, I do, like you said, residential and commercial real estate. I fund residential and commercial real estate up to $650 million. So that's per transaction. That's not per year. Um, I do every single state mm. in the United States. And I also run a real estate brokerage, real estate team with agents that work for me. I have over 250. So in the space of real estate, mm. I've been around for over 20 years. I started as an investor, just a consumer buying and holding my own properties. And then it just grew from there. But my roots and my right. footing and my foundation for building generational wealth has been in real estate and been very successful doing it. I love it. I, I love the fact that you made sure to mention, like you started doing what so many of us do, your own home. And it kicked off all this. Like we, we never know the things that we get into and the impact they can have on our lives later. But we're going to have a better mm -hmm. conversation about that in just a few moments. We got to get into our wild black shit. Art brother, you ready? Absolutely. I am so ready for wild black shit. I love it. It's probably one of my favorite pieces of, of today and, and of our episode. But first, let's get, you, let's get you prepared for wild black shit. We got three questions. Two questions get you warmed up. And then the third question is a signature question we ask every single guest. You ready? I'm ready. And he's going to, now you're looking like you're you going you gonna to knock these out the park, but they're going to be a little bit, going to be a little bit challenging today. Yeah, let's go. I'm ready. All right, let's go. First, question one. We're going to be talking about money. So money making and money and maybe 
for for the for our community, we've been a little flashy, and it's it's a part of being in this glamorized culture, right? So mm-hmm. in that vein, I want you to finish the names of these popular movies or song titles or lyrics or lines that all reference money. Okay. First one. For the love of money, people will... Oh, I, I wish I could do the beat for you. For the love of money, people will... Oh, that's a tough one. Let me... Mm, so you know the song for the love think of money, right? New Jack, think New Jack City. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, F- for the love of money, people will kill their own brothers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Puff Daddy and the family said it's all about the Benjamin. Bingo. Okay. I want to do more. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, we, we, we got a couple more for you. You good. Okay, okay. All right, so Ray Charles said, she give me money when I'm in when need. When I'm in need. <laughs> um, what get, comes after that? She I don't know Look, she got you. <laughs> <laughs> I right, I felt it so much. I had Look, I had to sing it too. Look, he gave you the answer. He got so excited, he forgot to stop. <laughs> right? I was like, oh, it feel like it go together. All right, right, here's the next one. Now, this one is, you, you got to be a hip-hop head a little bit to know this one. What does Wu-Tang's cream stand for? C-R-E-A-M. Cash everything around me. <laughs> she cream, said, I'm get G. the money. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Look at that. You see the That's champion, easy. the champion swing right there? She ready. All right. 100, 100. Question two. You just won the Mega Million Lotto, and now you have to decide, do you want to take the lump sum payment or the annuity payment? Which one would you choose and why? Um, I'm going to go ahead and take that lump sum. Just give it to me. Mm-hmm. Now, why the, why the lump sum versus the annuity? I would just do the lump sum because I know how to flip it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> she says she know how to make the money work. I so see. she, yes, yes. Yeah, I know how to make yeah. it work for now, me. The, so the, I the person okay. said, the, the person who said, I know how to flip it is the same. That's the same person who answered that cash rules everything around me so quick. Like, that was the same individual right there. We got that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get the money, dollar dollar bills, y'all. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay, this this is our signature question. Okay. What do you love most about life while black? Mm. I love most about life while black is just I love waking up being black. I just love it. It just feels good. I know that, you know. We're often imitated, never duplicated. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. empowering to be black. It feels good to have this skin color. It's beautiful. It's golden. It shines in the sun. Mm-hmm. It shines at night. You can't beat it. We sparkle. I'm mm-hmm. with it. I love those answers. You killed that. We're going to jump into our dope quote. Listeners already know it is something from religion or science or 
politics, history, entertainment, religion, typically from the mouth of someone black, but it has relevance on our topic for today, and today's indeed does. So I'm going to read it to you, and then I'd love to get your thoughts, opinions, first thing you feel after you hear it. Today's quote is from Andrina Sawyer, and it says, Entrepreneurs should always aim to play the long game. Instant gratification cannot build a legacy. When you hear that, Mm. what do you think? I think that an entrepreneurship, we understand that if we don't work, we don't eat. So we have to play the long game. Mm. The short-term version doesn't work for us. When you do things that's just real quick, that's how long you'll last real quick. You have to have intentions when you're building a brand, when you are trying to make connections with people. And, you know, if you're not in it to be sustainable and to last long, you're in it for the wrong reason. Instant gratification is not for entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And and like for me, there's another element to like the long game. And it is Mm -hmm. when you jump in and you hit that quick lick that we like to say, you might have some upside. It might feel great. But but not only is it as sustainable, but I think you miss an important element of education yeah. and experience. And, and that's mm-hmm. missing. Like, we'll get into this, but I am catching hell right now on the long game, so to speak. Myself mm-hmm. and, and one of my business partners in Mississippi are developing a small apartment complex right now. We're mm-hmm. rehabbing. It was a dilapidated, I mean, severely dilapidated building in the historic district. And when I tell you, we are getting mollywhopped over our head every other week with a new cost that we didn't expect, a a, a new rule that we have to adhere to, another hoop we have to jump through to get a federal tax credit. We getting this experience. Now, it's going to be beautiful on the back end, but it hurts right now. But we'll, we'll get into that. So I love how you broke that down. And I know that you probably get this question first almost every time you, you speak with someone. And, and we don't like to be typical here, but mm-hmm. I, I have to ask the same question. And then we'll back into the story. How in the hell did mm-hmm. you end up with a bank? Wow. So the way that I ended up with a bank is because <laughs> I saw so many of our loans being denied. So many of our people being pushed to the side. No education, no explanation. You know, just we can't help you and just move on. And the ones that were approved, the other 50%, they weren't treated comparative to the other people in other cultures. Um, The rates were different. The service was different. And so um, just being in the space of real estate as a licensed professional, I got to the point where I was selling 400 homes a year. So I helped a lot of people. Um, And when I did that, it basically put me in a position where I was able to see a lot of movement. and so. I started mm. speaking at events and a guy pulled me to the side and asked me would I like an opportunity to own a bank. Um, initially, I was kind of like, no, I don't want to own a bank. I don't know anything about that. But once I started listening to him and he planted the seed in me, I took action. And within two, two weeks, I was up and running as a federally chartered bank. And with that being said, once I did that and once the wheels started turning and, and the seed was planted, I realized that if this was to go, if this was to become something, I have the ability to change the culture. This is not about me. It wasn't about me making money. It wasn't about me owning a bank per se, just to tell people I own it. This is really about creating something for the culture that's going to change 
the trajectory of all of our lives, all of our, all of our, the way that we do business. And so to be able to create a safe space where we can do business, where we can get funded, where we can get access to capital, it was a no brainer. So within those two weeks, once I got up and running, the rest was history. And I've been in business for three years now. Damn, I, I love it. Love it. All right. So owning a bank, I, for me, it feels like, <laughs> a dream state, right? We hear people talk about, you know, being the bank and, and most of them, we know they're just talking shit. But in this case, this was for real. So mm-hmm. on this show, we we talk about the information that brothers and sisters need to go off and become something amazing. And I, mm-hmm. in an episode like this, I want to be both highly functional, but also inspirational. So I want to dive into the functional side just a, bit, a little bit. As a homeowner, as a developer, as an investor, but also as an agent and as a bank. What in your experience, and this is kind of a two-pronged question, is the biggest hurdle that the Black community overall has to cross in order to begin building wealth? And then what is the biggest hurdle for an individual to get over and start building wealth? Sure. Um, The biggest hurdle within our community is financial intelligence. Mm. Not knowing, what does that mean for people listening? Not knowing where. We have bits and pieces of information, but we, we never have anything that actually cr- creates a puzzle. Does that make sense? We have it does. the top, we have the bottom, we have the peanut butter, no jelly. We have the cereal, no milk. We always are missing something. Mm. Just And it all stems back to the knowledge. And so... I sit on the board of the the board of directors for the National Mortgage Alliance. There's no other black women on the board of, of on this board. I'm the only one. This board is across the United States. And if I'm the only person on the board and I had there's never been another black female, just imagine how we lack information. There's never any representation in the room. There's no one to bring it back to the community. There's no one that's going to care as much to bring the information back. And so a lot of times when people go through the process, they, like I literally, I had a guy call me earlier and he wanted to have information about a VA loan. He's a veteran, but he didn't even have the knowledge on how the veteran loan really works. He didn't do any research. He didn't Google anything. He probably didn't know where to start, but it starts with the foundation. You have to have that informational piece in order for you to be successful A lot of people think you still need a 700 credit score to buy a house. You can buy a house with a 580 credit score. So it's like just bits and pieces of information. And, you know, you're not in this space, so you wouldn't know everything. But just the basic information is still missed. And and what about for the individual? I think that it's, it's the same answer. Whether you are whatever color you are as an individual, it still comes back to financial literacy. And just knowing what, how money works, what, it, what does it do? I had a guy, I uh, did a loan for him and he didn't want to sign his documentation at the end of the process because he still didn't understand. He went through the whole process and still didn't understand what he was doing. Kind of just winging it, I guess. Hmm. So it really just boils down to individuals just understanding that there are rules and regulations to this, this process. And you can't tell the bank what you want them to do. They'll close your file in a minute. Yeah, yeah. So just understanding how to have the basic knowledge. 
that that that's a great build for me. So where do people go to get that, right? And the reason I ask that question is because every time you turn on social media now, there's a new influencer telling you what to do, mm-hmm. right? Explaining information without context, claiming to be credible mm-hmm. when they're not. And, and as a consumer of social media, we're susceptible to all of these messages. And without that financial intelligence that you mentioned, how do we figure out who's for real, who's not, and where do we go to become financially intelligent? Yo, it's Big Fred, a.k.a. Daddy Tuzawadi Podcast. Kiki Tubafetu, and we are the Sobering Podcast. Tune in to us every second Wednesday for fire conversations and interviews about South African music, sneakers, and street culture. Check us out on the Revolt Podcast Network. Shout out to our moms. And it's so difficult. And I mean, I'm only one person, but I'm trying to affect change. I'm trying to get, have a voice. If I can talk to, if I could, if I could walk around with a bullhorn all day, I would. But again, I'm only one person. So it's hard to decipher who's real and who's not because everybody's real according yeah. to the internet, right? Until they take your money and then they don't give you anything that you thought they would give you. So it's very, very difficult to trust people. But basic information is on the internet. If you Google FHA loan, it's on the internet. If you Google conventional loan, it's on the internet. If you Google whatever loan, it's available to you. So, you know, I think it starts with just taking the initiative in the first place before you get to the human factor, if that makes sense. It it does and leads to another question for me. Your lane is real estate, housing, mortgages. And you you found yourself there through a set of experiences that help you to understand this is where I belong. This is my space, right? But for the everyday average individual who doesn't yet know where they want to go or maybe even what they want to be, they're also bombarded with these messages of financial gain through I mean, you hear everything from stocks and bonds to crypto to real estate hell to vending machine businesses. How do you suggest someone figures out what path is for them? You know, I think it starts with mentorship. If they really, really, really want to go above and beyond the basics, you have to get some form of mentorship. And I know people who mentor, when people pay, they pay attention. So, you know, even if it's a $400 $400 class, a $150 class, um, something that gets you into the door. And I know it's difficult to say because there are a lot of people who take advantage of people even when they pay. It's so hard to get the right information. But, you know, with me and what I'm doing in the, in the community, for our community, with my financial literacy platform and being on the board, I will have um, resources that are going to be coming out to provide for people at no cost. At no cost, mm. information at no cost for, for the community. So stuff like that is what needs to be generated. But for right now, it's very, I got to agree, it's very difficult for people to connect to the right person because you just don't know who's being honest. Yeah. Off the top of your head, do you have any folks that you recommend they, other than yourself, obviously, they engage with, they read, they follow? Um, nope. I don't vouch for people because I don't want to get caught up in like, <laughs> anything that I don't know. 
Yeah. I stay away from like trying to connect myself to anybody else. I can only vouch for me, my companies, and my integrity. And so, and I'm very uh, protective of that because yeah. I work very hard to be in this space. For the first three years of me owning a bank, I didn't put that I was a Black-owned bank. Mm. I didn't publicize that. And, you know, it's, when you're navigating through the spaces, you have to be very careful because there's some people that don't want to see this. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like Harriet Tubman in the Underground Railroad trying to tell everybody <laughs> the noise, like in the in the great news. <laughs> and but now that I've been in business for three, <laughs> but now that I've been in business for some time, you know, I'm like, nah, we're here, yeah. we're here, and I'm here to stay. I'm not going anywhere. I know the rules, I know the regulations, I know what it takes to help other people, and I'm gonna shout it from the mountaintop. You know, I, I feel you on that. Like that, that defensive approach is necessary because it's people out there sniping for you. The moment they figure out they get, they got something to take, they are they are sniping. I want to dive in a bit into your background, right? You you've already let us know that you found your way here after purchasing your home, but give us a little bit more about going from purchasing a home to selling, investing, developing. What was that journey like for you? Wow. So I had no idea I was becoming a landlord. I didn't know I had, and well, I knew it was a landlord. I didn't know I was an investor. Right. And right. you know, when you're young and you're buying stuff, you don't realize that there's a term for this and people actually do this for a living. I was just a young black girl that didn't want to rent a house. Mm. Um, when I got to the space where I own multiple properties and I was turning rent, you know, making a profit. And I got a real estate license and I sold 200 houses my first year. I still didn't know Damn. that the average realtor didn't sell 200 houses. Wow. I didn't learn that until my second year in the business. The average real estate professional sells eight to 10 homes a year if they get that. Wow. And so you, by, you came out the gate yep, with 200? By selling that. Shit. Mm-hmm, my first year. Yep. <laughs> that's a story yeah. in itself and then right the there. second year over three. Yeah, that's a whole segment. <laughs> that's a whole segment. But the second year I did over 350. And then that's when I realized that I was doing something that was very different. Yeah. And from that point, it just started growing and growing and growing. And it just led me, one step led me to another step. And the next step was developing and building because as we live in this world, if you're not, if you're, if you're not, if you don't put roots down, it's almost like, were you really here? You know? Yeah. So I wanted to do something that was going to outlive me. Yeah. yeah. And so these builders are going to be here when we're gone. So that's why I ended up starting to build and develop houses. And I said, you know what? I want to do something that's going to leave a legacy. And that was my legacy stage. Yeah. For, for folks listening, break down the difference, provide some definition around a, a few different topics, right? Broker, because you're a broker as well, correct? Investor mm -hmm. and developer. For the folks listening, what, what do those actually mean? Okay. And, and how do you find your way into them? Sure. So a real estate agent versus a broker. In some cities, they call a broker an agent. Okay. But just from the term, to, to differentiate, differentiate the term, a real estate agent is a license holder. A real estate broker is a manager. And they actually have the ability to supervise, manage, and teach and train real estate agents. So when you become a broker, you're sitting in a managerial position. 
as a developer, a person can develop land so they can basically manage the land, get all the permits, purchase the land, but they don't have to build. So they prepare. They're the, prep, they're the preparatory stage. A developer is a preparatory stage. They prepare the land for it to be built on. And then the next step would be the builder. And the builder is the one that actually puts down the finances for the vertical erection of whatever you want to basically pull up or put up. Mm -hmm. And so they handle all the vertical. That's the builder. And so that's the person who finances the framing, the construction of the home. They don't necessarily have to be the one that's nailing with the hammer. They're just the financial um, avenue or backing for the project. That's the actual builder. So when you, you can contract the builder to build, but they're basically like a general contractor for you. You're still considered the builder, even if I hired someone else to actually help, you know, do the nailing, the right. hammering, et cetera. Right, right. So that's the difference. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. So for, for someone who actually wants to get into the real estate business from the investor or, or the developer standpoint, it's a tough question, but how does that business work? How do they get involved? How do they make money? Where do they go to even figure this out? If they want to become a developer or a builder? Developer or an investor? Well, the good thing is that you don't need a class to be either one. You just have to have the capital. You just have to have the money to do it. And so for me, when I started building, I, I didn't have any experience. I wasn't a builder. I've never mm -hmm. built anything outside of, you know, home, my own home, but I used a, a company. Mm -hmm. And so when I decided that I wanted to do this as an investor, all I had was the capital. I had the cash. So I took a million dollars cash of my own money and I bought a bunch of dirt all over Dallas, Texas, a bunch of land. And we can, we, we can do that because we have free will. And once I bought all the land, I knew a contractor. Would you build the houses for me? And he did. And I gave, I did the architectural plan and the design and it went from there. And he basically erected my vision. He put it up. So that, that, that's a, a way to get into it without having any experience. Mm. Tell us about your first deal a little bit. Which one? Real estate or building? Whichever one you think people will get the most impact from. <laughs> so I'll talk about my first construction for building. Similar to your process where you said that everything under the sun could happen and you didn't budget for it, right? When you disturb the earth, you have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> this is like Amen. the most interesting thing you can think of. Yeah. And so you people just think I see a lot open and I'm just going to put a school on it. I'm just going to put a building on it. I'm just going to put a house <laughs> on it. It doesn't work that way. So... First and foremost, whatever you're going to put on that lot has to be approved by the city, okay? So we have to make sure that it's going to fit. Once you've identified that it's going to fit, the next step is to go ahead and start your construction. But when you break mm -hmm. the earth, because you have to dig, you can't just put something on the top, even if it's flat. You have to basically disturb the earth, create a, a, a solid foundation for what you're going to put, stabilize it. Then the next steps occur. And boy, when you break open the dirt, you can find everything under that ground. You can find old um, tires. It could be a landfill. It can be 
um, a well under there, a natural water well. You never know what's underneath the ground that's going on. It's not just bugs and dirt. There's a whole bunch of stuff that occurs. And so mm-hmm. I had a project that I did. And this one, you know, was pretty, pretty standard until I hit, hit water. And so when I hit that water, essentially, I had to build a bridge underneath the ground before I can put my project, my house on top of it. Not only did I have to build a well, a, a, a bridge, but I had to put piping underneath there that the city didn't pay for. And so that was about $45,000 for a, a pipe that was no bigger than the office space, a little, you know, like a Damn. home office. It was no bigger than that. And it cost me 45000 just for the pipe. I had to build a bridge. The bridge was, bridge was like another $35,000. So I'm already at almost $80,000 before I even got anything done yet. So you have to budget you didn't when you budget for any of that. If you think, <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't budget for it. I had it, but I just didn't expect that that was going to happen, right? Because you think, oh, I'm just going to build a house. I'm going to flip it. I'm going to make this amount of money. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very easy, but it didn't turn out that way. So when you're building a house, you have to be prepared for the unexpected. You have to have extra cushion in your budget. And a lot of times that's why you see these guys run out of money in the middle of their project because they did not pre-plan. And so the unexpected is going to happen. I've never had a project that it didn't. You can say that absolutely again. And again and again. (laughs) Listen, so we're talking about, you know, how, how people can begin to build wealth and, and get comfortable with finances and gain some, some financial literacy. And so as you think about, about your journey, what are the things along the way that happened to you or through you or for you that you think people listening could really benefit from? And then I want to kind of take a turn in the interview, but I, I want to hear your answer to that. Some of the things that happened to me or through me that other people can benefit from. Wow. So when I got a real estate license, I had no idea, like I said, that other agents were not doing what I was doing. A lot of times when realtors, they, they can't get their footing when they get into the real estate space because they're so focused on what everybody else is doing. They're measuring themselves against other people. And we do that in, in general, right? Some other professions do that too but they're measuring their performance against what the other person did, the person that they saw post something. Just focus on yourself. You're in your own lane. Nobody can compete with you. You're your own competition, right? And so I would basically tell people that to stay focused and stay grinding. That's how I did so well. If I had a mentor or if I had someone, because I didn't have any mentorship, by the way, but if I did have someone to basically navigate myself with or connect if I had someone to connect myself to, I probably would not have as performed as well as I did because I would have been measuring my success based on the last person. So it's like, oh, I sold four homes. Okay, well, I'll sell at least four homes. That was my goal. That would have been my goal, but I didn't do that. I actually just went like kind of open, like willy-nilly a little bit. Like I just did everything I thought that people wouldn't do. And that, that's, that's basically how I was successful in this space, just not comparing myself to another person. Benicia, one one thing that I think we have we have to go into a bit is the the idea of being black and being woman in this space, right? Understanding that it is a very male dominated space, it is a very white male dominated space. 
How has it been navigating and finding success inside of this space where you are black, you are a woman, and people look at you and probably judge you according to both? What has that experience been like and how are you overcoming? Mm. Well, the fantastic thing about that is that so far I haven't had any issues. Um, as I move in this space, I've pretty much been able to operate and, and, and receive a lot of respect. The men who are there have not, and even some of the other people who are there, have not displayed any type of like discriminatory behavior towards me. But I make it known that I am here for the Black community. And so I think that they know and understand my goal is for cultural elevation for my, for my space. And so, so far, I've been treated with the utmost respect, but I'm ready for anything that comes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get it. What? What does your tomorrow look like? I mean, your your past and your everyday is already absolutely amazing. Where are you building to? What's What are your goals for the near future? So my goal for the future, late 2023, I'll be launching as the 43rd Black-owned bank in the United States, which will offer mm. checking, savings, and merchant services, which will help build, you know, the goal of, of having a safe space for us to do business, not just for your mortgages and your home loans, and your commercial projects, but for all aspects of financing. But what's going to be different from what I'm going to provide that's unlike other banks is that I'm going to add that informational piece. So I'll offer that credit um, piece. I'll offer the knowledge about trade lines and how to build and better your credit or strengthen your credit, or if you want to establish credit, how to do that. And so that knowledge piece is going to just be not a place where you just put money come in and out of, a place where you can actually get value that's going to help your family and help your um, informational base broaden. So I don't want to just exist. I want to make change. And so that's definitely what I'm going to do when I launch my FDIC insured section of my bank. I love it. If you had to think about it right now, what will be the absolute most important things you want the Black community to understand? I want them to understand that you have the ability to own. You know, I want to break the generational curse of renting. And I want to inspire, motivate, and accelerate our thought process when it comes to financial ability. I have a scholarship in high schools where I reach back and I go and I teach students in high school. I teach them real estate and I teach them financial literacy. And when I volunteer to basically give back to the schools because I was just donating. It, one of the t superintendents said, hey, could you make a video for the students? And I'm like, I could do better than that. I could pull up. I'll show up. So I actually go in person and I teach this. And my goal for teaching is to just show young kids, people who are in high school who are in transition, first and foremost, they don't always want to go straight to college. They're, they're in a basic, like a bubble. They don't know if they want to go left or right. So I want to give them a tool to put in their toolbox for, toolbox for resources. And if I can give you access to getting a real estate license, guess what that does for you? It gives you the fundamentals so that way you can teach your parents, grandparents, and, and great-grandparents if they're still alive. But also moving forward, now you have it in your mindset to want to own something, even if it's something small, even if it's a duplex, a condo, or a townhouse. It can be yours. And that will help you. That equity is what's going to bring you the foundation to building generational wealth because that's how wealth is built, through equity, 
to having something that's going to build while you're not paying attention. And so the goal is for me to not just touch the adults, but also reach back and touch the younger generation that's coming up. So that way the, the whole dynamic will help empower us and change the way that we think when it comes to ownership. I absolutely love that. So we're at the end of the episode and, and what we like to do with the end of every episode is one, share with all of our listeners how they can follow you, how they can engage with you, how they can learn from you. And then we give you the microphone with the ability to tell the wild black audience and the revolt audience anything that you want to share with them. So with that, the floor is yours. Okay. So the way that you can reach me is I'm actively on Instagram. And so you can follow me at my first name. I am Benicia. So I am Benicia, B as in boy, E-N-A-I-S-H-A. And so my goal and what I want to leave you guys with is that, you know, the reason why I created my company, not just to help our people and help the culture, but it's to create a more inclusive economic space where we rest to $1.6 trillion is our spending power. However, when we spend it, we're not spending it on things that's going to build assets. It's not going to build generational wealth. It's not going to build income that's going to come back to us. If you're buying it and spending it on cars, that's depreciation. If you're buying it and spending it on jewelry, that's depreciation. Sometimes we invest in things and it may not be the right thing. That's depreciation for our income. So I just want to turn it around and give us a, the the space for we for us, our people, our culture, our community to have more inclusion and be included in the economic growth on the back end, not just the front end. I love it. I love it. Art brother, you got anything, man? Hey, I'm I'm I, I love it. I, I love the fact that you've actually started a bank. I think that's super impressive. Could you could you maybe share just a little bit on how you how you even like the process of of that becoming a reality before we depart. (laughs) Sure. So how did I get access to the money to do it? When I was 15 years old, I got discovered by the gap. I was walking in the mall with my mom. It started my um, trajectory in the entertainment business. So I modeled. I've done many different things in the entertainment business. And um, it's funny because I was actually in a puppy video a long time ago, but that's another story. <laughs> which, which one, Toledo? Um, we got to stalk it. We got to figure it out. <laughs> it was old. It was old. Y'all got to Google it. Y'all got to Google me. Y'all find it uh, on YouTube. But um, but so I made a lot of money in the space of modeling and, and I started to do movies. I did television show. I did a lot of commercials. I had a Coca-Cola commercial that paid me residual income for like a year. Investing into real estate really shot my trajectory up, right? So I took my first house that I bought. I was 19 years old and I doubled my uh, equity, basically. I paid 60000 for it. I sold it for 130 And so I took the balance of what I had and bought another property. And it just continued that domino effect. So when, they, when I was able to get into the space of real estate and then I start selling real estate, I made over $4 million my first year. My second year, I made over $5 million. So I had already had the ability to save money and make money. And when it came to the part where I started building houses, then I 10 x my money. And it really all started through real estate. Like, this is crazy. Like, we're asleep if we're not investing in real estate. 
So once I did that and I 10x my profit, and when the when I had the opportunity to start my bank, I had the capital because I invested into things that made money. And so getting into banking, it took me about two weeks to get up and running. And so it's a lot of paperwork with attorneys. It's a lot of background check-in. It's a lot of things that they're looking into to make sure that you have the stability. But ultimately, there's three levels. There's three tiers in the banking. There's a $5 million, there's a $10 million, and there's a $50 million. And so I came in at the highest, per- at the highest uh, platform. And so that's called a full eagle, which allows me to loan money out at the highest capacity. So I can do all kinds of different loan programs, every single thing that exists, I can pretty much have access to. And so I offer over a thousand loan programs. And the reason why I'm able to do that and practice nationwide, I can close deals in three days for commercial real estate. Like I can do pretty much everything and anything that any person would dream of. So, but it all started with building my capital up through real estate. And so, you know, just the programs that I offer, like I want to talk about one if we have time, can I? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I have I have a couple of loan programs that I really want to, to tell people about. One of them is the entrepreneur program that I do, where if you are an entrepreneur, I can finance you for a home loan without tax returns. And so that's empowering Whoa. because if you own a business and your business is making a profit, I can finance you with no additional headaches. And so now that 2020 has come amongst us, and most of the people have realized that we can work from home, we can start our own businesses. Now we're in the space of entrepreneurship. It's not just the guys that we saw, the typical groups of, of individuals. It's a lot of black, it's a lot of minorities in the space of entrepreneurship. So to empower them with a loan that doesn't look at your tax returns and allows you to purchase at your highest potential, that's something that a lot of people a lot of people don't do. Um, I go down to 500 credit score for my FHA loan. And so, you know, if you want to buy a house and you have challenges, you've maybe gone through a divorce, maybe you co-signed for a brother or a sister and they did something that damaged your credit a little bit, uh, you know, a ding on your credit is not a denial. So, you know, just the ability to work with lower credit scores, just different things like that offer down payment assistance. There's so many different things that I'm able to do because I came in at the highest power in lending. I love it. Art, you got anything before we shut this thing down, brother? No. Benicia, you've been great. This is phenomenal. Good info. I love it. Benicia, we appreciate you on Wild Black. Thank you. I appreciate you guys, too. We out. Hey, man, it's your boy, Shard. It's your boy, G-Downs. Here from Bad Speakers Podcast. If you're a fan of Bad Speaker Podcast, then be sure to check and subscribe to Bad Speakers Podcast. A show that covers interviews, music, hip-hop, sex, Barbershop talk, anything that you want from the culture and podcast. And it's brought to you by exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip hop, powered by creators. Hey man, if you want that real, tune in to Bad Speakers Podcast. Uncut, unadulterated, real hip hop barbershop talk.